2: Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in our favorite video games. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt?
0: Lore, let's do it. Let's go with the lore. <laughs>
2: I would take it that he is excited to talk about lore. Uh, We're going to be doing some questions from you, our wonderful listeners out there. and We got them from a variety of uh, methods this week. Uh, So if you do have questions for this podcast or any of the other podcasts that we do participate in, uh, feel free to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. You can go ahead and specify what show it's for. Uh, You can also send them in on Discord. We have a channel set aside for our Patreon supporters as a way of saying thank you for allowing us to continue to do this show and others like it uh, and we try to give them a little bit of uh, top billing just because it, it's it's a reward, it's a reward for supporting us uh, but if you can't support us and you don't want to do email, uh, we understand uh, we do have a regular channel uh, for that's just accessible to everybody for Q and podcast questions and you can go ahead and throw them in there, again, just specify what show they're for um, and even if you do, Matt and I still might fight about it and maybe we'll make it a Patreon tier when you can see us thumb wrestling, we, d- we don't know, we'll
0: figure we get there, it out let's go
2: uh so the first question actually comes from our wonderful fearless leader and editor-in-chief liz uh what do you speculate happened in general between diablo 2 and diablo 3 a gap of time that is going to be covered in diablo immortal what do we know happened and what do we think happened this is a diablo question so matt i mean you wanted to go go man
0: oh okay (laughs) no i'm kidding um Well, I mean, we know broad strokes, some stuff happened. We, we know that the Worldstone was destroyed by Tyrael in an explosion that literally vaporized him and took him like a, a long period of time to recreate himself. During that time, his sword, uh, Eldruin ended up in the hands of a guy uh, whose name I always forget, um, unfortunately, but he was wandering around sanctuary as the avatar of justice. Uh, with the sword doing just deeds until such time as Tyrael managed to reconst- reconstitute himself and reclaim it. Um, so that happened for an extended period of time. Uh, we know that the, the remains of the world stone rained down on the world. Cause remember that Tyrael destroyed it cause it was corrupted. And that corruption, which was put in there by Baal, Lord of Destruction uh, kept going and being, you know, basically the shards of the world stone, I think they're called Bloodstones. They were corrupted, and so they were attracting demons, like demons and other evil forces. For instance, the Baroness from Diablo 2, the one that lived in the tower, and you got to kill her And I think, Act 1 might be. Yeah, I think it's Act Um, 1. Yeah,
2: I think it's Act 1.
0: But she actually gets recreated by the power of the bloodstones, and she's in a dungeon in Diablo Immortal. There's an actual dungeon that you go into to kill her. Uh, A lot of other... You know, evil forces were recreated. We know that, for instance, the Skeleton King wasn't, uh, you know, because he gets, re- he gets re- reconstituted in Diablo 3. So we know stuff that we see in Diablo 3 didn't happen in Diablo 2. For instance, Zoltan Cool is dead all throughout this, but he's going to pop up because he made uh, a copy of himself to run his laboratory while he was dead, because that's the kind of thing Zoltan Cool does. He's like, oh, well, I'll be dead for a while. So, yeah, you've run the lab until I'm not dead anymore. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's the kind of thing Zoltan Cool does. So we know that's going to happen. We're going to run into Zoltan Kuhl. Uh We know that the Demon Hunter Order, we, we get to see the formation of the Demon Hunter Order. Uh, with with the Zala, I believe her name is, the
1: mm-hmm.
0: the playable female Demon Hunter, we, we see her along with her mentor as they're, they're founding the Order, essentially. So that'll happen. We know that that's, that's part of it. What we don't know is, it's it's like I think it's like a twenty twenty five year gap between Diablo two and Diablo three.
2: They've they've said that there's a twenty year gap. They've uh, they've gone on record yeah. of saying it's twenty years, two decades.
0: So in that time period, I mean, I don't know what the people at Tristram were doing. Apparently, they moved downriver and built a new town because they were they weren't going back to that place. And I can't say I blame them. Um, there's, it's interesting to think about the fact that. You know, Leoric came to Candorus in his lifetime to become its king. Essentially, they didn't have a king before him, and they were like, okay, I guess. Uh, sure, yeah, you're king now, whatever. Um, so I guess that the, the nation of Candorus just didn't have a ruler again during that 20-year period. I, I mean, Westmarch was basically... Westmarch won the war between Candorus and, and Westmarch. Um, I have to assume that during that period of time, they were essentially in charge of the area. I don't know who else would have been because the, the king was dead. His his wife and his kids were all gone. Um, the archbishop turned out to be evil and he was dead. There wasn't a lot. I can't imagine there was a ton going on in the area, but knowing the place like I do and knowing that like evil tends to come up out of the ground there, like, you know, nobody's business. I'm assuming there's going to be something going on there. But in terms of like what we actually know, don't know anything about that. We, we don't know what happens in West March during that period. Obviously, the Paladin orders all kind of disintegrate around this time because there's no Paladin orders by the time of Diablo three.
2: Yeah, they're all gone. All,
0: you know, and the Templars come up during this period. Uh, the, the the ones we see when Cormac they they establish themselves at this time to the point where I mean I don't know I've only played like a few of the classes. But I know that Barbarian, when he meets Cormac, he says, he or she says, I know the word of, a, of Templar can be trusted. So apparently, in that 20 years, they established a reputation as being square shooters who don't lie. Um, not sure, you know, we, we know their, their horrible secret, but, the, you know, obviously we know it because we played Diablo 3. But during this time period, they're established and they look like, you know, people who don't lie and don't have terrible secrets. So that has to happen, but we don't know how it happens or what happens with it. Um, i trying to think of what else. Uh, obviously, we don't see anything about the Scovos Isles, because nobody knows anything about the Scovos Isles in Diablo three, So there's if there's going to be in Diablo Immortal, whatever happens in Diablo Immortal, it does not get out to the wider world. Um, because the Haradrim are like, you know, what's going on with the Scovos Isles? And uh, Tyrael's like, yeah, we, we should send somebody in there to investigate. So that we know. Uh, obviously, the situation in uh, Kedjistan gets worse. I mean, because when we get there in Diablo three, Hakann is a child emperor. Mm-hmm. And that means that he is, you know, whatever's going to happen to put Hakan on the throne is yet to happen. Uh, and yet we we're, we know that um, Karast gets completely just destroyed because it's it's such an it's an, an haven of, of the Zaka room and the Zaka room are corrupted by Mephisto. So we don't know, like, the dissolution of Kajistan is going to happen over the period of this game. Doesn't the game start five years after Diablo 2?
2: Yeah, it starts five years after Diablo 2 and, and sort of... From what I understand, everything that Matt's saying is is correct, and uh, unfortunately, we don't know a whole lot about the story because uh, it really hasn't been a whole lot of story content in pre-play or, or that's been revealed, um, but it is a lot of the world between, and, and and I know that sounds like, yeah, okay, thanks, we know that, uh, but the things that Matt is pointing out are, are pivotal moments, right? Like, when he's talking about the Child Emperor, when he's talking about the events that brought it on there, the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that one of the opening cinematics that they showed for Diablo Immortal is, you know, essentially the sorcerer and the barbarian dealing with further demonic incursions because the destruction of the world stone didn't stop the demons from being there. It didn't stop the demons from running rampant throughout the world. And if
0: anything, it's made it worse. It's, it's absolutely made it worse. They're all, they're all on scavenger hunts for like these magical crystals that give them massive power. And who finds crystals when
2: they find things, it's people. So you go to settlements where people are because they're going to find these things and use them as holy relics or arcane focuses or whatever. So you're going to murder a whole lot of people. That's what demons do. Yep. And, and yeah, go ahead. No, I was agreeing with you. I was just saying, yep. It's what we're going to see is sort of like Diablo two is bad, right? The events that happen in Diablo two are definitely things that are, they're not great. Uh, but at the end of it, when you get there, leading up to that point, things are deteriorating, but they're deteriorating slowly in the time between Diablo two and Diablo three, 20 years sounds like a lot of time. But that's barely, a, like, not even a generation, right? Like, that's 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 one, if if you were born at the end of Diablo 2, you are barely considered an adult by the time Diablo 3 comes around.
0: Another way to put it, Diablo 2 would be the year 2000. Mm-hmm. You are now in Diablo 3 right now.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: So, you know, a lot of us, you know, I was alive in, the, in then, and I was a relatively full adult then, so... Yeah, it's it is it is not a lot of time at the same time that it is a lot of time.
2: But it's uh. it's the idea that there's this rapid acceleration and the decline that occurs especially in human society and you can see that and it's from how interwoven the the demonic infestation goes, the corruption uh, settlements getting destroyed, demons still running around through the the world, uh, humanity still being forced back into small pockets of civilization. Because go through Diablo three and look at like where you're going, their camps, their uh, if there is a city, the city's in disarray. Um, even in Diablo two, like you're you're going from like outskirt to outskirt to outskirt, and they're like little tiny pockets of humanity. And that's sort of the norm. And we know like going from Diablo three to Diablo four, that it gets even worse. Um, Mm -hmm. But in that period of time between Diablo two and Diablo three, you're looking at essentially a societal breakdown over a course of 20 years. And so what Diablo immortal is going to wind up doing is sort of exploring that. What are the heroes doing, trying to uh, circumvent that or trying to slow that down? Uh, What are the new heroes trying to do? Um, and it, it, it's sort of trying to to show you how bad things have gotten. And it's interesting to me because Diablo Immortal is it's a finite game, right? Like it, it we know where it begins roughly and we know where it has to end. And it's I'm always fascinated when a game decides to tell a story like that because the middle bits do matter. But it's always, well, now you have to connect the dots to how you got from point A to point B. And it's I'm kind of curious to see what they actually choose the show. And I think, yeah, it is it is very ahead.
0: hard to do a prequel. Yes, and the thing about this is it's a prequel to Diablo three, mm-hmm. and as a result, when a prequel is done right, they manage to surprise you with how you got there, but it doesn't surprise you with where you go because you know where you're going. Uh, that's one of the hardest things about prequel storytelling is either people like to tell the story so far ahead that there's. Plenty of time, and it doesn't really matter what happens in the future, or they need to like be very careful about like look at the Star Wars films. Whether or not you liked the prequels or hated them, and I'm actually on the board of thinking they were pretty okay. Same. There, there's a problem in that you know where this is going. You know what has to happen. What boxes need to get checked, and sometimes that can, that can really rob a story of its power. Mm-hmm. It feels like what Diablo Immortal is trying to do is sort of get around that by having the story be about the degradation. It's not about the boxes that are going to get checked are not the story here. The story is like the, the direct aftermath of a, of a, an event that is incalculable. I mean, the prime evils came to, to sanctuary and then we're like trapped and then were are freed. The, the Zach church was revealed to be an, uh, you know, an, a tool of corruption. Kedjistan essentially has been the empire of Kedjistan is breaking apart. Um, West March is like a, a like a lone sea of civilization as everything around it falls apart. Mount Aria got destroyed. Oh yeah, and the barbarians. I mean, you,
2: you go through the ruins of it too, like you yeah. know.
0: Yeah, the barbarians are like you know they don't have a culture anymore. They don't have what they and there's just a lot of this stuff is going to be. It's not so much you know here's all the beats because we know what the beats are going to be. It's more like this is how it got this bad. This is. And this is how people didn't come together. Like th- that's kind of it's a sad thing to think about, but that is a big part of the story. Is how, in the face of this, you know, until the Nephilim comes, there's nobody who can stay up. You know, and the, the heroes you're going to be playing are basically just trying to stick their fingers in the crumbling dikes and and pl- and keep the water from coming through.
2: Yeah, and and, and I, I find it I find it fascinating too because now Diablo Immortal has another thing that it's going to deal with, which. I think a lot of players either may not have thought of, but it's definitely something that struck me is when you're talking about like the pockets of humanity not coming together, why couldn't they or why didn't they? And that is a big story in and of itself. And I think we're going to start to like see maybe there were attempts to reach out to other pockets of civilization to try to, you know, create trade routes or try to reestablish communication and try to reestablish mutual defense forces And maybe they couldn't like in Diablo two. That's one of the things you are doing as the player is basically clearing the way to get from point A to point B. Like you go from the rogue encampment to uh, the desert encampment, essentially. Um, Then you go from the desert to the jungles and you are clearing the way for the caravan to be able to progress. Uh, That's part of what you're doing. And without you, it couldn't happen. It didn't happen. And you were essentially reestablishing some of that communication back through the path that you were, you were basically cutting a swath. And in Diablo Immortal, we know that that didn't happen. We know that between Diablo 2 and Diablo 3, there was nobody maintaining that. There was nobody, uh, at least nobody successfully, uh, blazing that path so that humanity could safely communicate back and forth. And now with the the corruption of the Zachary of Faith and everything else... You know, you start to understand, like exactly how disconnected everything and isolated everything was, and I think that's going to be an important part of the storytelling. What were the nephilim? What were the what were the heroes doing that wasn't saving humanity? Because, like Matt pointed out, they're they're putting their fingers in the dam, but where are they putting? Because there's there's so many holes. There's there's you can't stop the flood from coming. We know that now, but what were they choosing? to work on. What and I he-
0: also think it's going to be interesting because a lot of stuff, like we know that the playable, the playable characters in Diablo Immortal are essentially a greatest hits of Diablo three. Yeah. It's pretty much everybody but the witch doctor, um, we, including crusaders and necromancers, both of which were like additions to Diablo three, but it's, it's pretty much everybody, but the witch doctor I'm and you know, Witch doctor porn went out for you. Sorry, buddy. Um, but think about what that means when we know that they were like, what they were doing in Diablo three, we're going to get to see the formation of the demon hunter order. So I think there is somewhat of a, f- people are slowly realizing just how bad the situation is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that the crusaders at this point in time, were wandering around, you know, inside like, you know, the jungles next to Karast and so forth. And they weren't really up on what was going on with the Zaka room. Like, so at some point they must find out that must be something that happens because you're going to be playing one of them. So, they must finally come out. Their their return to the world, so to speak, must be during this time period. So there's gonna be a lot of stuff like that, like that we're that we've not seen yet, but will see happen that leads to setting the stage for Diablo 3. But in terms of exactly what's gonna go on, all I know is that uh, at some point, I believe it's uh Westmarch becomes the hub city. Yeah. So you know, at some point Westmarch is like, we gotta try to get some kind of handle on this because yeah like we don't know what the heck's going on next door and, and we haven't heard anything from like further away so th- th- those kind of things are going to be happening
2: and it's interesting too because west march kind of did have a handle on things until the angels decided they were going to get involved and then it just all yep. went sideways uh but like it, it's and i think that's where the story is going to go and i think those are all safe speculation points um honestly I'm looking forward to seeing where the story goes with it because I'm I'm super curious. I'm super curious what they're going to choose to highlight because that's what it's going to be. It's going to be highlight of events that occur between the two, and that just fascinates me. I want to see what happens with it. Anything else you want to add before we move on?
0: Nope, I think we're good.
2: Alright, our next question comes from our good friend 6K. Uh, Question for the podcast. I stole it for this one. Uh, Is Warcraft finite based on the story alone? I mean, they can always squeeze out an expansion or on adjacent narratives, but it seems like there will always be power scaling and inter-narrative scaling. Will one day the story of Warcraft have finally discovered its own origin and have to stop due to chronological omnipotence? Or will they go full existential heaviness, raid other uh, properties like Heroes of the Storm until they release an expansion where Orcs transubstant into the real world and raid the village of Irvine. Uh, joking aside, it is a good question, uh, and it's it's one that I think a lot of people ask, particularly when they start talking about the longevity and how long the tooth uh, Warcraft is, because World of Warcraft is an ancient MMO at this point. I think it might be like second longest running MMO. I, th- I think EverQuest well, might have it be. No. Uh,
0: well, EverQuest has two of them. <laughs> technically speaking, EverQuest and EverQuest 2 are both longer running than World of Warcraft. Sure. And they're both still running. Uh, one just got its 21st expansion, that's EverQuest 2, and EverQuest itself got its 27th expansion. Granted, expansions are different there. They are they are not always as big. Like, what, what EverQuest calls an expansion Content. can be roughly the equivalent of a big patch in World of Warcraft. So, that's fair. But Nevertheless, those MMOs have been going for the even longer. Like from like 1999 for Everquest and from like I think 2003 or 2004 yeah, for I Everquest
2: 2. Yeah, I think you're right, yeah.
0: But so so in a in a way, uh, I don't know how to put this. You could do this forever and ever and ever as long as there's interest enough to generate to to generate people to do it. There is there could be this forever. Warcraft could just keep doing stuff. One of the things that they could do is by one of the things that other games do is simply doing stuff that doesn't really require you to understand the power level. Like the power level is an abstraction. It's there as a game mechanic. It does not exist in the world of Warcraft. Like when you go, say you go to Stormwind for a quest and you get the quest and in the game, the quest will only trigger for people who are of the right level. But in the fiction of the world, Anduin doesn't go, we'll call everybody level 59 and above because he doesn't know what that is. It doesn't exist. There's no, there's no little number quantifying Rexar's power. No one knows Rexar is an elite. That's, that's, that kind of stuff is game mechanic. It isn't lore. Mm-hmm. So they, can, they could put out an expansion right now that takes place entirely in Elwynn Forest. And you end up fighting nothing but kobolds. They could do that. I don't think they would do that because people would be like, what the F? Why are kobolds suddenly so damn hard? But they could do it. And they could have, like, the kobold king show up. And he's, like, you know, he's a level 70 elite, but obviously he's just a kobold. He isn't, like, you know, he's not the, the lich king. But in terms of power, they could absolutely do that. These are things. We always have to keep in mind that the story of World of Warcraft is not connected to the mechanical stuff. When we're going into the Shadowlands, the Shadowlands stuff is weird and unusual, but it's not, nobody is going, oh my, oh my word, that strange thing that I saw in the Shadowlands is level 63. That, that's, that's not the problem. No one is, the, the Jailer's power level isn't the issue. I mean, it is in that he is incomprehensibly powerful, but it's not his actual level. You know, that, that is not, we don't have scouters. We're not Vegeta. Um, Speak for yourself, I have one hanging above my desk. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, but I don't think your character doesn't have one. Fair. Uh, and so can they, do they have to worry about the story of Warcraft having discovered its own origin and have to stop during the chronological? No, no. They could just keep going forever. They can just They can make up new stuff whenever they want. And I'm going to, this is one of my favorite ideas on this subject, so I'm going to bring it up. If you played Warcraft, the original Warcraft Orcs vs. Humans, mm-hmm. it's set entirely in the area around Stormwind. Yeah. It doesn't even go up to Lordaeron. Lordaeron is never mentioned. Nobody, no human kingdom, but Stormwind is mentioned. Hell,
2: they don't even yeah. mention the light.
0: Yeah. The only areas you see are like Deadwind Pass, uh, the Dead Mines, Westfall, uh, Stormwind, like Elwyn Forest a little bit. There's... There's a map somewhere from the original Warcraft box, and there's stuff on it that you'd recognize, but it's like, yeah, that this is all we get is this little slice. And they don't even call it the Eastern Kingdoms or anything, because why would they? There's nothing, they don't know if there's anything east of it when they're making the game. Come Warcraft 2, suddenly. Oh,
2: Swabazaros 2, by the
0: way. Yeah. Swampasaras with the Black Morass, that kind of stuff is mentioned. When you come to Warcraft 2, obviously, in order to continue the game, they had to decide what happened in the first game. Because keep in mind, when they put out the first game, if you were playing one faction, you could win and you could play either faction. So either factions had a victory condition. Either faction could win while you were playing. They had to pick one. And they were like, well, if the Alliance won, that kind of ends the game. Like they they win, then the, the orcs are beaten, and there's nothing else to do. So the alliance lost because that let them do more game. But then they had to basically come up with what was going to happen in this game. What happens if the humans lose? Where do they go? Do they all just die? Are there more humans to fight? If so, where are they? What are they in? So they are doing the basically the the kingdom of Lordaeron, the dwarven nation of Casmodon, that kind of stuff comes in because they needed more stuff. And then that's how Warcraft 2 became a bigger game. Then they, had to do, they wanted to do an expansion. So now they're like, okay, we're going to do like, what's on the other side of the dark portal. And that's how we got Draenor, which at the time, that's when you go through, it's, it's Draenor. And it becomes Outland at the end of that expansion pack. But then they, would, they said, okay, we're going to make Warcraft 3. And now keep in mind, it's, it's a fair few years between Warcraft 2 and Warcraft 3. Warcraft 3 doesn't come out till 2000. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? Like, for the story, what happened at the end of Warcraft 2? What's the canonical ending? Well, the canonical ending is that the humans won and put the orcs in camps, because we saw that when we went to the expansion pack. But now we have to figure out, okay, so what happened next? And suddenly, there's a whole other continent over there. And there's these tall, drow-looking elves. What are these guys? They can do that indefinitely, forever. And there's no reason they should ever have to stop doing that. And,
2: and bear in mind, like some of the additions that they've been making to their internal teams, like I'll call out the the hiring of Christy Golden as as being on staff. Right. You have a very talented writer, uh, not to say that she's the only one. They have tons of talented writers on their staff. Uh, but you have these people that their their lives have been creating stories from nothing. And if you need new stories you need new places to go they don't have to outsource it they don't have to worry about like the same four people sitting in a room and and whiteboarding the same thing out over and over and over again they can literally go to these people who their job is to make story from nothing to use their imagination and breed life to a world and go give me something and you know, they could, ha- they could have, we don't know how much they have banked. We know, like, if you go back to our interview with Steve Denouser, they have stuff planned. They know where they want to go. They have things that they want to do. Um, He couldn't tell us how much for obvious reasons or what is for even more obvious reasons. But it's not like some people think that they're just lit- going from like expansion to expansion, flying by the seat of their pants because the game's so old and they don't know where to go. That's that's not true it's it's something where they probably have too many ideas of anything um and deciding which one fits where in the timeline or puzzle piece in in whatever they're doing to storyboard this out to the future that's kind of like the key to it all and that's what they're that's what they do so matt's right they could do this forever they will probably do this Again, as long as there is interest and as long as there is interest, they will find new things for us to do, whether it's new planets, new races, new continents, uh, time dilation. Like Warcraft has literally everything you could possibly want from a science fiction or fantasy story. When it comes to threads, you can pull on, we still have a planet consumed by void. We have not dealt with, uh, we have a race that is uh, very much aligned with the void uh, in, in some capacity, That we kind of dealt with, but not really. And that's a whole thing that's probably going to pop back up at some point. Like, there are so many things that they could continue to do and pull on that it would not surprise me if they have the next 10 years of this game at least penciled in. At least for where they want it to go. And that may change. You know, something may happen that's more topical or they may get another fresh idea that fits better and they'll adjust it but I don't think we're ever going to get to a point where the story is just done. Now there is some truth to the fact that you're always going to have to deal with a sort of uh, a sort of like scaling. And we've talked about that a lot. We've talked about it on this podcast. We've talked about it on the blizzard watch podcast. There's always going to be a little bit of a power creep, and that's because the longer we are heroes of Azeroth, the more we do, the more experience we get, the older we get, the more power we accrue, the more power we accrue, the bigger threats we can deal with. And I like to—I used to liken it to, and I think it was one of the, the very first podcasts I, I think we did, where in my brain, that's the reason why we moved from, at least lore-wise, from 40-man raids, which were meant to represent an entire army going into some place. Right. It wasn't just 40 individuals. It was meant to be indicative of a larger force, just scaled down for representation purposes, uh, going into fight, you know, Nefarian or going into fight Ragnaros. Right. We were waging an entire war in these places. And then as we got more powerful and we didn't need to have a bigger army anymore, because now we had those heroes of old were now us. And we're able to step up and bring more. So now there was less need for it. So now we smaller raids, smaller groups are able to go and do it because, well, we didn't need to bring a whole army. We can bring like a section of our army. We can bring a battalion and the other battalion can go do something else. Uh, There's always going to be a little bit of an element of that power scaling because that's just the nature of a long running story. Uh, Look at any fantasy novel that has existed for with multiple settings or multiple books in a series. As things go on, they get bigger and bigger and bigger. The only difference is here, it doesn't have to have an end point. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about an MMO in general is that the story does have the ability potentially to go on forever as long as people continue to be interested in. It. And if it ever does get to a point where the game isn't sufficiently supported by you know people or it's not economically viable to keep it going or whatever the case is, if they ever do decide to end it, I'm confident that there will be some form of big story event to end it all out. Very similar to how some other ones uh, like Star Wars Galaxy did uh, back in the day.
0: It should also be pointed out that in terms of MMOs staying active, uh, EverQuest, as I just mentioned, is on its 27th expansion. I guarantee you a lot less people play EverQuest than World of Warcraft.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: There's going to be a long time before this game isn't profitable.
2: Especially with all the mainstream tie-ins and everything else that are that are associated with this game. So, yeah. it's going to be a while, folks. So, strap in. Uh, our next question comes from our good friend, Lord Soth. Question for lore, Lorewatch. Lord Soth here. Recently got Cyberpunk 2077. I know the game is based off of an established series universe, but I know nothing of that world. Would you, be, would you guys be willing to give me an overview of the Cyberpunk universe lore? Thanks for all you do.
0: No, I don't think any. We should need to. Neither of us cares anything about this game. No, this we
2: we hard. have no investment whatsoever in Cyberpunk. Go for it, man. I know you're 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 gunning for it.
0: Okay, well, first <laughs> off, Cyberpunk 2077 is actually kind of an alternate future of the original Cyberpunk game, mm-hmm. uh, which was put out by Telsorian, um which we've t- we've talked about on Tavern Watch a few times. Cyberpunk since, 2020. Yeah, right. since we're not. Uh, doing Tavern Watch at this exact moment, I'm not gonna belabor like the fact of who Mike Pondsmith is or how important he is to the indie RPG scene. But I will say this: Cyberpunk 2020 was like a real trendsetter in terms of doing something else in an RPG besides fighting dragons. Yes. Um, and it it quite frankly, Shadowrun wouldn't exist without it. Oh yeah, because Shadow, Shadowrun Shadowrun was very much FASA's attempt to go well. What if we did both at once? But before that, Cyberpunk twenty twenty came out, and at the time, Cyberpunk twenty twenty was the far flung future of forty years from now. Um, so, th- it felt like enough time to, to, you know, stuff could get real weird in that forty years, and stuff did get really weird in that forty years. But they obviously didn't get weird the same way that the game did. One could very much argue we're in a cyberpunk future right now. Uh, stuff like, yeah, we don't have implants. We don't like have cyber eyes and you know, guns in our spines. But not we, not the gun, but we
2: do have implants and stuff like that now. That's starting to be yeah. a thing.
0: It, there's just it, things are never exactly the way people predict. But sure, in a lot of ways, big, big corporations. Like uh, one thing I remember talking about, it was the fact that like you can't even buy a tractor now without the corporation basically owning the tractor. You're just renting it because they control the firmware. And if you try to jailbreak your tractor, they they will like come try to repossess it. Like this is we are in a cyberpunk future. So when Pondsmith Smith made Cyberpunk 2020. He was very much heavily, heavily, heavily influenced by Neuromancer mm-hmm. and other uh, other books by William Gibson, and a lot of the second stage cyberpunk writers. And again, I am simplifying the p out of this because we just don't have time. This would be like a three hour thing if we didn't. But basically, the premise was we needed big corporations, so he invented a bunch of those, and you see them in Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, like companies like Arasaka. Um, you you see that. Pretty much, it's it's trying to basically make books like *Neuromancer* into a game that you can play, uh, and and that's the characters that you see were, were created as broad archetypes. Like Johnny Silverhand was an archetype of something called the rocker, which is kind of an Americanization of the idolu mm-hmm. idea, which comes from from of all places, it comes from from anime. Like, if you ever watched Robotech, which is, you know, we're not going to go into, like, Robotech was made from other anime, blah, blah. The character of Minmay from from Robotech is an, is an idol, the, the Idoru idea. And that's what the rocker boy was. And then they had, you know, they had hackers, the, the uh, you know, they had Street Samurai, which, again, comes from the Gibson idea of the augmented soldier. Uh, a lot of stuff basically just comes straight from cyberpunk as it existed in the 1980s.
2: And, and a lot of it does call on early transhumanism as well, too, right? Like, it's an evolution yeah, of transhumanism, which, which was a concept that was was born, I want to say, early 60s? I
0: would, I would say it, it dates back even further. For instance, um, the very first robot story, the first story, the play that used the word robot, Rossum's Universal Robots. The robots aren't robots, as we would understand them. They're they are, No, they're not. There's nothing mechanical about them. They're made on a loom. Um. they're they're like woven chemical people they're they're not robots there's the whole idea of it, it it's more like genetic engineering but they didn't have when the story was written nobody really had an idea of what genes were yet they had not looked at them this is predates watson crick and and rosalind you know the, the the people that actually discovered and then took credit for dna they didn't know about dna yet so he, they built, were built on a loom they were woven together but they were people and that's the thing, the transhumanism, the, the idea of transhumanism has always been to tr- literally transcend human limitations.
2: Through, and and to, for those of you that may not be familiar with it, it's it, often through the use and adoption of technology for the betterment or. or yeah, uh, and that
0: technology can be yeah. any kind of technology you want. Jack London wrote a story about a guy who's use, who uses clay pots to drop diseases in 1976 uh, from blimps. And you're like, what? That's insane. But in 1920, when he was writing, actually not even 20, like 1908, the 1976 was like 70 years in the future. And who knew what weird stuff they'd have? You know, it, the future is always colored by the perception of us writing about it now. Right.
2: And our and, limited understanding.
0: And and that's sort of what happens with Cyberpunk. Uh, Cyberpunk 2077 takes that setting that was, you know, at the time that they were making the game, it was like 20. 15 and they were like this thing will come out in a couple years so they don't want they didn't want it to be set in 2020 when they thought that their game would be coming out in 2018 and then of course the game didn't come out till late 2020 uh which is even funnier to me but the world that you're getting is basically just taking the trends we're living in now and just amping them up Mm -hmm. like the idea that there are weather warnings that are telling you okay the temperature will not get past human livability today and we might actually get rain You know, it's like there's, that's the the basic premise. The lore of the game is all about the, the world of completely unchecked capitalism. And to the point where like, I think the best way to really get an idea of the lore of Cyberpunk 2077 in terms of playing it is to listen to the radio constantly. And when the news stuff comes up, don't switch it. Actually listen to the news announcements because you get a ton of what the world is like from that. But it is basically just taking the world that was created originally, where corporations were out of control, and there was all this, you know, people were, like, trying to come up with artificial intelligences and new ways to, like, make humans and and pushing it forward. Like, what happens after 50 years of that? So, go ahead.
2: To bring it it back to sort of, like, the root of the question for Lord Soth here, Cyberpunk 2077, at its core, uh, now that we've kind of covered what Cyberpunk is... It takes place in Night City, which if you've been playing the game, you understand that that's where you are. Uh, Night City takes is a location in the northern free state of California. At this point, California has been cut in half, I believe. No, six regions. There are six regions. Um, and this just happens to be one location. It is also a location run by megacorporations and is completely unassailed by the laws of government. Essentially, the corporations run the entire city and make the rules. Even though there is a police force, that police force is beholden to the corporations.
0: It's literally privatized.
2: It is 100% privatized.
0: There's a corporation that runs it. And there is a mayor, and the mayor is only there because when the city declared itself a free city, the corporations basically propped it. Like, Arasaka was on the streets shooting uh, North American Combine soldiers. Mm Mm-hmm. To maintain the independence of night city night city is independent even from the northern free state of california
2: yeah it's,
0: it, it, it has border crossings and you you go through them in the game and i'm so, oh, sorry go ahead no i'm just i was just agreeing with you that i'm so, just saying you know that that's the setup
2: and there are six major corporations that that sort of run the city you have arasaka militech uh kang tao biotechnica zeta Tech, and trauma team um, they all control essentially different portions of them of what happens in that city, uh whether it is bio, bio implants, whether it is uh artificial intelligence, whether it is cyberware, whether it is military grade weaponry, whether it is medical technology for the el- elongation of human life. um and so th- to be in in night city, it, you have to deal with those corporations they they are part of everything on top of the corporations, because there is no real law uh inside of it aside from the corporations there's a huge gang presence because in order to survive in night city you need to band together with others that have mutual sort of desire for survival and it's very based off of that a very human idea right and this is if you've if you can take equivalency of where gangs started to rise in american society and sort of were from these neighborhoods of people that were trying to originally protect their own. And then it just got worse and worse and worse. And it sort of takes, like Matt said, takes that idea and ramps it up to 11. And there's, a, so- there's
0: a really good example of this in the game uh, that I always think of when I'm, when I'm thinking about how to explain this. There's a gang called the Sixth Street. Um, I can't remember Sixth Street's full name, but the Sixth Street gang that are basically just hyper, like if, what we would today call survivalists. They're like super into America. They're super into, you know, the red, white, and blue, talking about patriotism and all that. Yet they're basically just yet another drug running, kidnapping gang because that is where the money is. Mm -hmm. Every gang does these activities because, as I think Johnny at one point even says, you know, corporations, you know, they're they're corrupt, they're dirty, but the streets are filth, and they don't want to get that on them, so they 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 use the gangs as a proxy. When you have a situation where the, the law is maintained, for, it's, it's to the point where there's a character in this game that is pretty important to the story, uh, Hanako Arasaka. When you meet Hanako Arasaka, she looks to be mid-twenties. Hanako Arasaka is nearly 80 years old. Mm-hmm. That's the difference right there in a nutshell. If you are rich, you could live indefinitely. Saburo Arasaka was pushing 170. And And, he was still going and, and probably would have kept going for quite some time. And he was even working on a way around the eventual failure of his body. And that's the thing. The game, the game's world is really all about. Like We were talking about AIs. One of the corporations Joe didn't mention is night Corp.
2: Yeah. There are, there are several smaller corporations. The the, the ones I just listed were just the big boys.
0: Yeah. Night Corp is actually terrifying though because the other companies, the other corporations can't hack them. Netwatch which is a, a big extra corporate organization that all the corporations supposedly fund. It's essentially the watching the net. They can't hack them. Nobody can hack Nightwatch, no Nightcorp. Nobody knows what Nightcorp is doing. And there's hints in the game that Nightcorp is actually not really a corporation, it's actually a couple of AIs. Yeah. And they're, they're doing stuff to people. There's a whole quest about their neuroplasticity and memory alteration. And the, the game's story is in of itself the idea of what happens when they start going for your identity? What happens when they've taken all the money they can get? They've taken all the control they can get. What if they start now they want to like make it so that you're not even safe inside your head? And that's the thing. The the game's got a lot of layers to it in terms of its storytelling in the world. The whole premise of the story is, you know, it it's it's capitalism completely unchecked. Like right now we have laws. The corporations can't do certain things. Uh Activision is finding out right now if you happen to be paying attention to Blizzard. Um, yeah, Activision is finding out there in fact are limits to what you can do and, and we will smack you down if you push us hard enough. But that doesn't exist in Cyberpunk. Like the world's oceans are not navigable. They cannot, the, there are no, there's no way to have trade via cargo ships in the future of Cyberpunk 2077 because there was a war and the AIs that were in charge of, of many navies broke free and are currently just sinking anything that tries to sail across the ocean.
2: Which is why one of the hooks is them trying to use space as a means of trying to get things between regions because, yep. well, they're not up there.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's that's your your basic premise here is that you are playing a character who is a solo. Uh, it's another word for somebody who is a mercenary. Um, and a solo is basically somebody who is ultimately the ultimate cog for anybody, corporation, government, anybody they can, if, they can, if they can afford them, they can hire them to do things and they're completely disavowable because they're literally just nobody. Mm-hmm. Many of them mm-hmm. even have their identities erased. Some of the best ones like Morgan Blackhand, nobody is even sure if they're still alive, You know that they're that good at concealing who they are. And in a real way, it is very much about how do you survive? How do you navigate in a world that is so completely set up to exploit people? and it is it is really kind of haunting when you play the game you see you get to see some of the stories that of people and how they've you know how they've been exploited and used by the system uh just in some of the environmental storytelling like you go out into the like the badlands and you come upon these towns that are just empty mm-hmm. and you know this town is just empty because one day the corporation decided oh we're not going to build that highway well you're fucked go somewhere else oops sorry
2: we get one per show it's fine
0: yeah there it is so yeah it, it, it is very much, it comes from that core uh, of of trying to take what's going on in the world right now. And this, again, it was in the 80s, but people saw where it was going and extrapolating it out. And like I said, the original game was 40 years in the future from when it was written. And now Cyberpunk 2077 is 50 or so years in the future from from when it comes out. Hopefully when we get there, it won't actually be that bad because, you know, that it, it is very bad. Uh, you yeah. think of anything else?
2: I mean, and, and the other thing to keep in mind, too, is to go back to another point. Like, one of the major points of of cyberpunk in general is a lot of these corporations are looking for the key to immortality. And it, it, it is a major... Plot point for a lot of those corporations, whether it's through body augmentation, whether it's through biologically engineering replacement bodies, whether it is completely mapping a person's personality as you would an AI. Like, there's many different approaches to it, and when you start going through some of the things that you can do in the game to your body, to yourself, and bear that in mind that a lot of this is you're a testing ground. You are literally like. This is experimental tech. Let's just release it and see what happens. Free testing. Because at the same point as a solo, you're trying to gain a reputation for yourself to get that money, to have that fame, to continue to have that money to survive Night City. It is a vicious cycle. And the game world itself does a very good job of explaining it. And as you're going through the game, keep that in mind. And I think, go ahead.
0: No, I'm just going to say, I think Joe's dead on about that. Like the first, like when you choose your origin, pay attention as you go through it. Yep.
2: Yeah. It's very important.
0: And then once the first, the first thing you do after the origin story is completed and you are now partnered up and, and doing your first real job, it's actually six months of jobs before that. But this is the first one you get to do when you're playing the game. Really pay attention to what happens in that mission because it serves as a primer. Mm-hmm. for the way the world works, for the kind of things people do. Um, the scavs by themselves are really, that's a very cyberpunk idea. People who like kidnap other people to steal their implants. Yep. Because, you know, if you've got a lot of implants, you are you are basically a walking pile of money. Keep in mind that in the, in the real world right now, people have been attacked and even killed for like their shoes or their watch or their phone. Now, imagine if you had or, that or their stuff kidneys. Inside- Yeah, imagine you had that stuff inside your body, and it could be implanted into other people. Like with your kidneys, there's a chance that they'll get hurt or damaged. But if you have a biological system implanted in your body that regulates everything, it's still just a device. Mm -hmm. They can just take it out of you. You know, so that's another aspect where it takes modern stuff and pushes it forward. So yeah, I, I I really also I'm gonna just recommend if you if you like Cyberpunk 2077 and you're interested in more. Our uh, Telsorian has a lot of books out. Yes, and a lot of them are available now. You can get them print on demand, or you can get them as PDFs, and I really recommend them. As I'm going to do this because I always do this. If you are looking for the the best game they put out, it's called Cyber Generation. I would agree, and it, it's because it takes that anime Dirty Pair, uh, you know, inspired aspect, welds it to the X Men, and makes it a cyberpunk. And it's really, it's like cyberpunk with hope. So it's simultaneously cyberpunk and hope punk, and it's really good. Uh, So give that a look, but yeah, the, the world, it even gets mentioned in cyberpunk 2077. So I'm going to, I'm going to gush. There's a point where there's a person who does like, you know, conspiracy theory style radio shows and it's actually Mike Pondsmith. Yep. And so that's cool just in and of itself. But he actually does the story of Cyber Generation as a, this happened, but did it really happen? And I'm I'm literally dying listening to this going, oh my God, it's Cyber Generation. But yeah, um, Cyberpunk 2077 is very much based, it's heavily based on the original games. And they currently have a new version out called Cyberpunk Red, which gives you the story up to 2040, I think.
2: Uh, yeah, that is correct. Yeah,
0: so if you want to see more of how we got to this point, they have more. You can get it, and it's real. It's really well done. Um, it's one of my favorite games of the period. Uh, Cyberpunk for twenty twenty was was a lot of fun in terms of its rule system. I mean, you know, it was it was made in the eighties. Read it. Uh,
2: read it. Read it for the story. Don't worry about the gameplay. Yeah. <laughs> All but right, but. It-
0: Think that covers it? Yeah. I think that
2: covers it. I think we can move on to our, our next one, and I think this will be th- our last one. Possibly. We'll see. Uh, This one comes from our good friend Verdigree. Question for Lorewatch from Vertigree, Undead Mage. Friends, I have been playing Necrolord the whole expansion, and I've only just now found the Archon of Maldraxis. Specifically, during the weekly Necrolord quest corpse run, where you carry one of several giant bone pieces, the buff it gives you, says, dragging a fragment of the Archon of Maldraxxus Kyrestria the firstborn is the Archon of Bastion I think the Archons may be like the Greek Titans the previous Pantheon or a deposed government what say you watchers uh, Matt's been calling that that Maldraxxus possibly all of Shadowlands is essentially a giant body so I'll let him go with this one.
0: one oh yeah I, I think Maldraxxus at least if not the whole place um, I think Maldraxxus is literally a corpse like I think you are standing on a dead thing, and I mean, we we the bones we take its hair out. Like there's that one weird quest where you're dragging the hair out of the ground.
2: Yeah, and it's, um, it is referred
0: to as hair. Yeah, it's the bodily fluids, all that stuff is is from Meldraxus. I think in a very real way, the Arkhan of Meldraxus is Meldraxus. I think its name is Meldraxus. Yeah, I think that's what I think, that's, it what, it I think that's what Vertigree is getting at. Yeah, I think it died. I think that you know we're running around on his corpse, like that's that's literally what I think is happening. Uh, and I, I don't know. The thing about it is, Kyrestia does not remember her past, and neither do any of them. And like,
2: Archon, uh, Archon to them cannot mean this It doesn't necessarily have to mean the same thing.
0: Yeah, I think that you know, Kyrestia. You know, we know that Kyrestia is the firstborn, who of whom Bastion grew up around, in much the same way that we know that the Winter Queen had that kind of relationship uh with, with Arden Weld. Yep. Yeah. And Joe is so used to me saying the wrong thing now that he jumps in before I can. Uh <laughs> I really do mess that up all the time. Uh but I think that it's it's not a question that the Archons were this Greek Titan pantheon or whatever, but I do think that Maldraxis is literally a big dead thing. And I'm I am on the fence about what that means. One idea I had is that Maldraxxus is itself a first one.
2: That's what I'll, that's the the same line of thought that I've been having.
0: Yeah, that's the one thing I've been thinking is that Maldraxxus itself is the body of a first one that and, was killed.
2: And it would make sense too, like when we start thinking about where the story is taking us. At least in in my opinion, and I could be completely wrong. I could be completely off base. We both could, but I think there's something here, and I think that. There is something to be said that the ordering of the Shadowlands involved the sacrifice of the first ones, specifically because of where Zalval is trying to go. He refers to it as the sepulchre. The sepulchre is a word often associated with a tomb-like vault. It is something that has been locked away. Like, if you look through history... Like the uncovering of of a sepulchre is usually like some burial site. It's a tomb usually reserved for something important or someone important, and it usually has a ton of stuff with it. Think of pyramids, think of a kingly burial in in like from ancient times. like that's the type of place that it sounds like he's going to. Why would that be important? and what does that have to do with the first ones? Well, if the first ones are actually gone because they they used themselves to order the universe that it would make sense that maybe their body or bodies were used in the creation of the actual material that everything is made out of right it goes back to certain things we don't know how titans are made we don't know how the first ones ever came the first titan ever came to be we don't know how any of the leaders of any of the shadowlands realms really truly came to be they just remember being they just remember being born right and it all goes back to The like the origin of the universe, light and shadow. Like, was that all there was? Was there something else? Did the first ones were they born into that and created it? Did they cast the first shadows? Is that why the void tried to get into Bastion at some point? And look at the other realms themselves. There's cause to believe that maybe the other realms themselves are made out of pieces of first ones. Maybe that's why everything was divided like it was. They are aspects of the first ones. Maldraxxus being the literal body. Ardenwell being the literal regeneration force. Uh, Bastion being the literal sense of duty. Uh, I always want to say Venthyr, but Revendreth being the literal sense of pride. Like, there can be so many explanations for it that, that just seem to fit. And also, like why the first ones went away because they're that powerful of a creation. If they're that powerful of a being, if they actually existed to begin with, where did they go? Why did they go? What happened to them?
0: Or maybe, you know, as you pointed out, perhaps it was necessary for the, even the, for the ordering to even happen. Mm-hmm. Perhaps they, they themselves could and, not survive.
2: And that's not a unique concept too. like, look for, Oh, it's
0: Ymir. Look at Ymir. I was just going to say Russia. that. Yeah. Made the firmament out of his brains and bones. You know, it's it's quite possible that the entire Shadowlands is made up of the first ones.
2: It's also possible that the entire universe is made out of the first ones. Yeah, maybe because like there, there, there is definitely a connection between. Like we know, there's a connection between like uh, when we do the Ardenwald, the Winter Queen, and Alun. Uh, there's and there's definitely a relation between the Pantheon of Death, and the Pantheon of the Titans, there is something that binds them. There is something that binds the Shadowlands to the Prime Material Plane. We don't know what that is. We don't know why that is. None of that has been explained. But if it has to do with whatever the first one set up, then maybe it makes sense. Maybe the Titans were a first one creation as well to tend the garden of the Prime Material Universe. Maybe that's their purpose in relation to what the sh- the pantheon of death does because they are definitely the curators of that space. We also don't know how many members of that pantheon there are. We only know of the ones that we've interacted with, so the five of them. But we know and I and I love bringing this up, go sit in the the ring of transference before you complete like any of the storylines to make the sky dark and just look. There are thousands of doors that could be called upon, which means there are thousands of realms in the Shadowlands. Could there be thousands of beings just like the Winter Queen, just like Denathrius, just like uh, Chirestria? Could there be an infinite number of them? Does that mean there could be potentially an infinite number of them in our universe? We don't know. It's There's a definite tie there, and there's definitely something important there, but I do think that Matt is correct, and I think that... Maldraxis is the literal representation of a body, and that's why they do what they do. That's why Meldraxus is all about body modification, recovering, rebuilding, reusing, because they're literally sitting on a giant corpse, and they know it. And I think the Primus knows it, and he just ain't telling us, because he has a nasty identity of, even now that he's we've restored him, still not telling us everything, because that makes sense. What are you going to do? Anything else you want to add with that one?
0: No, no, I think that pretty much covers it.
2: All right. Well, folks, that's gonna do it for today then. Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com/slash Watch. Your continued support means this podcast sighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads free site experience. Again, if you have questions for this podcast or any of our other endeavors, be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com uh, or hit up us up on one of the page- Patreon channels uh, and give us your questions. We love them. We didn't get through all of them. We have more, and I love having questions. Having so many to go through means that we're prepared for the future. I like being prepared for the future. And as a final (laughs) reminder, all of us at Blizzard Watch still continue to stand with the employees at Activision Blizzard and everybody in the gaming industry and all other industries doing this as well and demanding change for a better tomorrow and a safer work environment. So with that, folks, thank you very much. We'll see you next week.